Well, that speaker right there is working. <laughs> that song is called Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. What does that even mean? I have no idea what that means. Good morning. How are y'all? Good, good. Happy post-Thanksgiving into the Christmas season. Um, we are actually beginning Advent uh, here today at the well, which makes sense because it's 7.6 degrees outside, and so that kind of relates well. So for those of you like me from the Midwest, it's kind of like home, right? We can actually sing songs like, I'm dreaming, or no, that's would be in Texas, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Christmas is here, all right? We're in the Christmas season. But um, I wanted to really quickly, before I dive into the sermon, uh, give you a really quick update. Last week, we did what we called Thanksgiving Back, and uh, we did that for Campbell Elementary. Uh, what was going on was that this school uh, is switching over to uniforms, and a lot of the students here are kind of underprivileged, um, and their families were afraid that they wouldn't have the means to produce uh, enough money to buy uh, uniforms and stuff that they needed. And so we took up a special offering and uh, gave that to Campbell as a gift. And the total amount of that offering was $2,591, which was really, really, really cool. I mean, if you look at, there was one person got excited. That deserved, like, that was, for real, that's a really, really great thing. I also love that somebody gave, like, $1 or $101 or something like that. So $2,591, which is awesome. Uh, the well uh, decided to match that gift um, because y'all have been being very generous just throughout this year. Um, and so we wanted to match that and really bless the school that much more, which brought it to $5,182. And then after the service, one of our covenant members came up to me and said, hey, I would like to also match whatever this, uh, the number is that people gave. And so this person came and said, hey, let me know what that number is, and, and I'll match that as well. And so with those three things combined, we raised about $7,500 for uniforms for the kids. That's like really, really cool, y'all. That's really cool. And so, man, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for uh, wanting to bless the school in this way. I know that will be a huge, huge blessing, hopefully not just even for uh, the students and their uh, clothes and stuff, but even more so for the sake of the gospel, that they would see we care about their physical needs and also their spiritual needs as we meet here uh, in the school on Sunday morning. So anyway, thank you. Okay, I have a really quick, as we dive into Advent, uh, unscientific poll to take that I will use in a very scientific way later to win an argument. All right? So so be very, very careful how you answer this, okay? How many of you love the Christmas season? Raise your hands. Wow, that's almost the whole room. I did not expect that. Okay. Um, how many of you really, really love Christmas songs? Like you couldn't wait till they start coming up. All right, about half. That's good. Uh, how many of you like Thanksgiving more than you like Christmas? Raise your hand. Okay, that had nothing to do with the poll. I'm just judging all of you guys, all right? That, that was it for there. Okay, uh, what's your uh, favorite thing about Christmas? So I, I know you're in church, okay? So the answer kind of has to be Jesus first, which, by the way, is the right answer, all right? But um, outside of Jesus and, and thinking about the gospel, what is your favorite thing? Uh, who in here would say that it is uh, getting gifts? Gifts for Christmas, all right? There we go, five or six unashamed people. Hey, be unashamed, that's great, all right? How many of you would say one of your favorite things is giving gifts? All right, you all are more sanctified than the last group, okay? Um, how many of you all would say food and family? That's kind of one of your favorite things. Okay, there we go, that's a lot of the room. What about like, well, how many of you would say songs? I just really love all the Christmas songs and I see my wife's hand back there. I got to drive to Houston and listen to a bunch of Christmas songs, so I know that to be a fact. Uh, how many of you all would say like traditions and stuff, like 
maybe putting up the Christmas tree and doing different things. My wife raised her hand for every one of those <laughs> questions, all right? Um, I will admit, okay, in the past, I did not really care about Christmas all that much, which you can call me a Grinch some. If I was on the movie Elf, Santa's sled would not be flying if it was based on my faith, all right? But now, I don't know if it's having kids or if my wife's kind of over-the-top excitement for Christmas is rubbing off on me a little bit, but I am really looking forward to this Christmas season and have been a little bit uh, just as we think about the coming of Christ into the world and the beauty that that is. I was even excited for the message today, thinking about the beauty of Christ as uh, the hope candle is lit, and we think about what does it mean that that Christ is our hope, that Christ came into the world to be our hope, you know? What a beautiful thing when you think about the sheer wonder that the God of the universe was born as a little baby. <clears throat> like, meditate on that for a second. The God who created everything, who, who literally says, let there be, and then there was light or trees or mountains or oceans or rivers, came down and was a little baby, Right? Like, like seeing the Grand Canyon or, or, or looking at the Milky Way should bring wonder and awe to one. So too should it be when we reflect on the birth of Christ. That should bring wonder, amazement, kind of awe into our hearts. And so over the next four weeks, this week included, we're going to be looking at the coming of Christ and how it brings our hope. Christ is our hope. Christ is our peace. Christ is our joy. And Christ is our love. And why all of those things are important for us as a people. And so today we're going to be focusing on Christ our hope. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we will be in Luke chapter 2. We are going to read a massive chunk of scripture today. So if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to look for one underneath you somewhere. Uh, there's some under every second and third chair. If you physically don't own a Bible, we want you to take and keep that one. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word of God to be able to use it throughout the week. So please take that one. Um, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish uh, under the Uversion app. If you, uh, under the tab section, click on live, type in the well Austin, you'll be able to follow along there. Uh, there's poll questions, uh, places to take notes, all the scripture will be on there. And if you don't have the Uversion app, you can actually take this link and put it right into your browser, and then you can follow along that way as well. We want to provide as many ways possible that you would be seeing the word and just seeing the power of it even today, okay? As you're turning there, Luke chapter 2, uh, I want you to think, how many of you can think of something that you have waited for, for what seems like a very, very long period of time, only to be disappointed upon receiving what you were waiting for? All right? How many of you have, have felt that feeling before? Think about it, okay, in, in your heads, uh, that you've really, really longed for something, you've waited for something, and then you got it, and it just wasn't as exciting as you kind of made it up to be in your head or in your heart. All right, how many of you would say that you've done that with a car before? Like you really, really wanted a new car and then maybe you got one and like three weeks later you realize it was a lemon or two months later you start paying those car payments and you're like, uh, right, okay, there we go. Sandra in the back with her Prius, that's right. All right, how many of you would say that like about like a house? You really, really wanted a house, you wanted a house and then your AC unit blew out and weeds were growing you realized owning the house wasn't that great. How many of you would say that? Okay, a couple of us in here, all right. Uh, how many of you would say that about a job? Like you really, really wanted a new job or, and then you got upon this job and you didn't like your boss or something was going on. How many of you would say that? 
All right, several of us. How many of you would say that about a spouse? Like you really thought, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. All right. That was a setup. I'm totally kidding. All right. This is, these things are us putting our hopes in something and then those hopes not being fulfilled. Hopefully that's not true with your spouse. All right. If it's true, stay with it. It'll get better. I promise. All right. But I think that a lot of ways we put our hopes in something and then a lot of times those hopes fail us. Matter of fact, Proverbs 17 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, which means you really, really want something. There's a hope for something. And then if it does not come true, your heart actually becomes sick because of that. Why? Well, our hearts were actually designed for hope. Like our hearts were designed that we would be thinking about trying to receive hope. And when we don't receive that, our heart gets sick. Paul uses the word hope 13 times just in the, or the book of Romans. So in one epistle with 16 chapters in it, he uses the word hope 13 times. In other words, almost every chapter he's interlaying this idea of hope. That's why even though we know certain things will fail us, we still tend to put our hopes in them, like Texas A&M football, right? Because we crave something, all right, or UT football this year. We crave something and it's not ever going to be fulfilled, but we keep putting our hope in it, hoping that it does give us what our hearts need. Our hearts were created for hope. Now, hope, I will say, is a word that in our culture has been belittled like many of the profound words, all right? And when we're thinking about hope nowadays, what we tend to think about uh, when we use that word hope is kind of like wishful thinking, Right, like, like you really wish something to be like, like I hope that Natalie buys me Mortification of Sin by John Owen for Christmas. Hint, hint. All right, or I really, really hope that the Lions win the Super Bowl one day in my lifetime. That's wishful thinking because that's probably not going to happen. All right, and so for some of us, I think that that's the way we use the word hope. So I really hope I get a new job, or I really hope for a new car, I really hope to have a husband, or I hope, and it's kind of a wishful thinking idea. This is usually what we think of when we hear the word hope. However, the Bible has a very, very different definition of the word hope. In Scripture, the word hope is an expectation of something happening. It's an expectation. So hope is not wishful thinking. It's more so of an idea of confidence. Like you know that it's going to take place. It, it hasn't yet, but you know that it's going to take place. There's a confidence because of past things. And so when scripture tells us to hope in the Lord, it's not telling you to think wishfully about the Lord. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like hope in the Lord, think wishfully about the Lord. No, we know that that can't be true. What it's telling us is have confidence that God is who he says he is because of his past works and because of the current things that he's doing, have hope, hope in the Lord, have confidence, have a steadfastness, have, have a, a, an idea of, of expecting God to do what he says he's going to do because of who he has been. And so trust may be a word that we relate with it or, or an active hope. It's not a wishful thinking, but, but there's even action behind hope in a lot of ways. And I want to stress that at the start because I think this is important as we move forward today that we don't have this idea of wishful thinking in our mind, but a steadfast confidence. That's the way the word scripture or the way that scripture is used in the word. Uh, hope is a continual theme in the Bible. In fact, it's used 164 times throughout the scripture. And so it's a word that's used over and over and over again. More on that number in a moment. And one of the truths about Advent is that Jesus is our hope. Now, we're going to do a massive chunk of reading, like I said. And so I want you to really, really think about the birth of Christ. Now, if you grew up in church, you've read this story 50, 100 times maybe even, okay? 
I want you to see it with brand new eyes today, okay? I want you to read it as if this has never been read before because this should spark something in your heart, like looking at the Grand Canyon. Like we said, this should spark something in our heart of a wonder and an awe. And maybe this is actually one of the first times you've read it. And if so, then great. But we're gonna read a large, large chunk, okay? So read it with me, stay with me. We're gonna start in Luke chapter two and we're gonna go all the way from verse one to verse 38. Luke chapter two. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinius, I should have looked at that word before I read, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do with for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, from the daughter of Phanuel, (laughs) the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Amen. Hope is experienced best by a person who is broken or who is hurting or who is in deep need. The person who feels like a sense of of longing or, or great desire for something. This is when people experience the great greatest amount of hope. Like those people who have an expectation, but yet that expectation is not currently being fulfilled. Those are the people who tend to hope the most. When they receive it, there is greater joy in their hearts. Okay. Would you, would you agree with that thought? Okay. Because this is important for us. Scripture lays this out pretty plainly throughout the pages, as we'll see in a second. But listen, if you are hurting then, or if you are broken right now, If you are messed up, you're wrestling with some sin and you feel guilty or you feel the weight of that. If you are lost, if you are wandering in this world trying to figure out what's going on, maybe you're uh, uh, broken because of all the, the tragedy that's been happening in the world recently. Maybe there's tragedy in your home, maybe just in your own heart. Maybe there's depression or anxiety or fear or worry. If you are frustrated, if you are tired, If you are drenched in sin, then Jesus is for you. Then Jesus is for you. And I'm talking to Christians as well, by the way. All of us in here. Jesus is for us. Do you know why? Because the gospels say that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Not fleeting, wishful thinking, but a confidence that we can have in God through the promises because Jesus came as a baby. So think about it like this, okay? Uh, Who enjoys a wedding more? The person who gets married at 21 to another 21-year-old or the couple who is 45, who since they were 18, they've, they've wanted to get married and, and maybe they're Christians, so they haven't even really dated around a lot and they've kept themselves pure and there's probably all this built-up anticipation of what marriage could be like. And they saw one of their friends get married and their best friend got married and then three or four other people got married and slowly but surely they were kind of the only ones that were single into their 30s, into their 40s. If you've ever been to a wedding where the, both the people were a lot older in age and this was their first marriage, you got to see a really, really, really great gift. Because what you saw was this great amount of hope that was finally being fulfilled. 
And there was a joy that's probably be exper- being experienced by that bride and that groom that the 21-year-old can't understand. Now, I was really young when I got married, so, so I'm not speaking from experience at all, right? But, but getting to actually even be a part of some of those weddings, getting to see people stand before me and be waiting for 50 years even and finally having what they hope for come true, they tend to have a greater joy behind that because it went fulfill- unfulfilled for such a long period of time. And then when the wedding bells rang, hope was realized and they rejoiced in that hope. And so here's why I start with this idea, okay? Because I think that a lot of us actually forget how hopeless we are without Christ. Not only without Christ, but without Christ being born into the world as a baby, living as a man, we forget that without that, we have such little hope. Because this world, as we know, is filled with miseries and and pains and toils and sins and even our own hearts right now may be wrestling with that in a lot of ways. Friends, there's hope. Even today, because of what happened 2,000 years ago, a Savior was born, the King of all the universe got down and became a man for us, born in a manger, okay? Let's get back through the text real quick. We're not gonna go through all these verses, obviously. We'd be here until next week. But um, looking back through some of it, verse one, go back to verse one. Notice that there was a decree that was, uh, you were supposed to go back to your hometowns, okay? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, all right? There's no airplanes, there's no trains, there's no cars, okay? A lot of people were scattered throughout different places because of all the persecution that had been happening, and they're all over the place, and now there's this huge decree that you have to go back to your hometown just to be counted amongst that hometown. What kind of sense does that make, (laughs) right? Like, who in here is not from Austin, All of us but like one person. You see that, right? So if there was a decree that went out, President Obama hopped on all the TVs and radio and said, hey guys, we need to do a census and all you guys need to find your way back to your homes. Like that'd be kind of frustrating probably for a lot of us, right? And maybe even uh, uh, Mary and Joseph were were maybe complaining a little bit, bickering. I mean, she's nine months pregnant at this point. If you've ever seen a nine month pregnant woman, you know how painful that is at times, right? Like, Like it hurts to lay down and sleep. It hurts... So to travel uh, 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 miles and miles with no car, with no comfort, maybe on a little mule, maybe they were even walking, like, like to travel that far was probably a great pain. What they didn't see was the sovereign hand of God moving over that situation because there was a prophecy that Jesus the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And lo and behold, Joseph was from Bethlehem. And so they had to go back to his hometown to be counted there at the perfect timing, okay? And so this was very interesting. They would have never fulfilled that prophecy. The point being, sometimes God orchestrates things in our life that may seem like an inconvenience at the time, but friends, realize that God is in control. God is in control. God knows what he's doing in our life. He, he, he's not out of control. He's not just kind of sitting in heaven, just watching things happen. He's actually orchestrating events so as to create his perfect and ideal plan. And his perfect plan at this moment was to send Jesus as a boy and to be born in Bethlehem. And so he orchestrated this decree that would go out that they would all go back so that the Savior would be born at the right place at the right time that hope may enter the world. This is a great thing. And so maybe there's some turmoil in our life. Maybe we don't have a job right now. Maybe uh, there's uh, some wrestling of where we should move. Maybe we feel like God may be out of control a little bit. This is not true. 
realize that God is in control. And in a lot of ways, sometimes he's trying to flesh out his plan for us in our lives. Down to verse seven, okay? Verse seven, most people know this. And because they know it, they tend to overlook it a lot of times that Christ was born in a manger, okay? But once again, let your heart wonder in awe at this for a minute. The God of the universe, Jesus, whom all the angels were worshiping and praising throughout all of eternity past, exited out of this perfection that we call eternity and entered into sinful, broken, messed up world, born in a manger. Not even a holiday inn, right? Like born in a manger. There's a joke in my family that I'm a really, really big hypocrite uh, because I really don't like it when people chew their food really loudly, except I chew my food really loudly, okay? And so uh, there's this huge joke about it. And my mom, she owns horses. And so my brother, he actually went back home for this Thanksgiving. And he went outside to the horses and was feeding them hay. And he took a Snapchat of it and sent it to me. Don't judge me for using Snapchat, all right? He took a Snapchat and sent me the horses chewing and said that that's what it sounds like when I eat cereal. All right. Now, I looked at it and I thought, that's so gross, okay? And not because of the loud chewing, though that was very annoying for me, all right? But like the horse was slopping all over the place and food was falling out of its mouth. And Alex said, that's what I do when I eat cereal as well. But as I was looking at that and I was thinking about even this text, like Jesus went from a heaven to that. Like this thing that horses slop around their food in, or maybe it was goats or donkeys or whatever it may have been. But, but do you realize that the God that existed for all of eternity past exited his throne in heaven and was born amongst animals so that you and I, who make our home amongst animals, could one day be with him forever, could make our bed in heaven. Like Jesus came down into the earth as a little baby born in a manger, There's so much treasure in all these verses, but we don't have time to cover them all. So I want to jump all the way down to our focus on the text today, verse 25. There was a man there named Simeon who was waiting for the birth of Jesus. Verse 26 tells us because the Holy Spirit had revealed that he would see the Christ. He was expectant. There was this hope because the Spirit had put on his heart that he would see the Christ. And then finally, he laid eyes on the young boy who would one day redeem all of mankind. And Simeon rejoiced. He rejoiced. Now, why? Why did he rejoice in the way that he did? because his hope was fulfilled, right? The Holy Spirit put it on his heart. You will see the Messiah. You will see the man who will take away all the sins of the world. And, and in comes Mary offering this, this little boy still, right? Like, like he had been circumcised, it was the eighth day, but he's still this little tiny babe. And he offers him up and Simeon looks at that little boy and rejoices in the Lord. Look again, verse 28. He took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Like, I, can, I, I could die now, he says. I, uh, my whole life has been fulfilled. This, this hope that I was expecting for all of eternity, pa- or not eternity, for all of my life, right? The God of eternity past came down and I'm holding him now. My, my life has been fulfilled. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Likewise, Anna, the prophetess, 
had a very, very hard life up to that time, okay? Think about her life for a minute. It says that she was 84. The Bible doesn't give unnecessary detail. So whenever detail is involved, we have to think about why they put that detail in there. She was 84 and a widow. What we know about that culture is that there were no good systems set up to support people who couldn't really support themselves. So she was married for seven years, which means she had learned to put trust into her husband, that he might provide for her, that he might help her in different ways. And then he died and she was widowed. And we don't know if she had children or not, but the text kind of alludes, it seems at least to me, that she doesn't. She's kind of by herself. She's, she's this widow and she's just in the temple day and night, fasting and praying. There's this great hope. She had suffered a lot in that culture. And then in verse 37, it says that she didn't depart from praying, from fasting, and she was waiting. And then finally she laid eyes on the king. That after all the suffering, 84 years of suffering, something that looking around the room, I don't think any of us can even relate to yet. All of a sudden, all that hope was fulfilled. All of the pain almost, it almost seems like at least in that moment began to like vanish. Like it was as if the last 84 years were now all okay with her because she had finally seen the king. Read through this again with the thought of a long time sufferer. And maybe even in your life right now, maybe you're, maybe you're suffering. Maybe there's a lot of suffering going on. Maybe it feels like a really, really long season. Think about what it would be like if you were 84, had no husband, no identity in that culture. Look again at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Jesus brought her hope. Jesus brings the world hope. For as Anna was suffering and as Simeon was waiting, so too the whole world was suffering and waiting whether they knew it or not. They were suffering because they were still under the penalty of sin. They were waiting for a redeemer to, to save them. Remember, all of our hearts long for hope in some way. We, we hope that this new phone or this new car or this new marriage or, or something would give us what our hearts long for. There's a hope naturally built up in our heart and Simeon and, and Anna saw it, the hope fulfilled in Christ, the little boy Jesus, who would be the redemption of Israel, a light to the Gentiles, the hope of the whole world. Jesus was finally born. I said earlier that in the Bible, the word hope is used 164 times. Did you know that outside of the wisdom literature, so like uh, the Proverbs and the Psalms, outside of the wisdom literature, the word hope is only used once before the prophets, and that's in Ruth. So we get a personal story of Ruth, okay? And it says that she hopes. And then that word is not used all the way up until the prophets, which is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Genesis was written. Why? Because for a large part, Israel was established as a nation for a pretty long while. They had great peace. David had brought them great peace. Even in the time of Joshua, they had overtaken the land. They have uh, started to establish their kingdom. And for sure, there were ups and downs. Like the judges, you see these ups and down ways. But for the most part, they had a lot of sustainability. They weren't suffering. But then come the prophets, and they begin to suffer. And all of a sudden, they need hope. And the prophets start speaking about this one to come who would bring not just hope for their current situation, but hope throughout all of eternity. And so they experienced this moment of peace, but then in the midst of suffering, they started hoping. Once Israel was enslaved to other countries, they needed this deep hope. 
And so the prophet spoke of one to come. And even now in this text, when Jesus was born, they were in a very, very tough situation. They were enslaved to Rome at the time. Uh, they had just gone through three different rulers and reigns. The Assyrians, the Babylons, the Medians had all overtaken Israel and, and putting them in a different captivity. Now they're under Rome. Their own people currently are turning against them for financial gain. Like we see that in Matthew, the tax collector, that he kind of traded his identity into Rome to go back and to hurt and tax his own people. Like they are a broken, hurting, messed up people. And then in comes the hope of the world. This is part of the reason why, if you look through the Gospels and you think about it, that people were so quick to cling to Jesus, even though he looked nothing like the king that they would thought he would look like. Like they were hoping for a king, and Jesus comes as a lowly servant, and even still they're kind of falling over him and saying, man, this is better than what we've had before. Like he's offering us something, he's, he's offering us something that our hearts long and crave for. It was finally being fulfilled in them. They had tasted something that they longed for. This little ray of light in the beacon of their darkness was Jesus for them. And they clung to him because of that. Israel's literal condition, Jesus says throughout the gospels, is a great picture of all of our spiritual condition apart from Christ. Matter of fact, even in, in John chapter 8, verse 34, he says everyone who sins, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. And so every single person who sins is a slave or they're under the authority of sin. They are being beaten, taken captive, trampled by sin. Now, I sin. I'm assuming that none of you are the second coming of Christ. So you sin, right? All of us are under sin. That means all of us are enslaved, Jesus says, to sin. But he came that we may be set free. And so much like Israel's physical condition was a literal enslavement. So too, Jesus says, is our spiritual condition. It's an enslavement. We are in great need. There's a longing. Israel longed for a homeland. Jesus came and offered it, but not just on earth, but forever throughout all of eternity. The tastelessness, hope that they were currently tasting because there was nothing in them, had nothing for the gourmet of hope that Jesus offered to their souls. They had longed for something. They longed to taste something. And finally, Jesus was coming to give them the hope that they needed. Jesus came to offer hope for the brokenness of their spiritual condition. So this is why I said at the start, if you're broken, if you are hurting, if you are longing, if there's a need in your heart, if you crave something, if you are trying to find hope somewhere, then Jesus is for you. Because Jesus is true hope. That's why we worship him during the season because finally he is hope realized. He is hope that has come into the world and given us something, not just for today, not just for a momentary satisfaction, but that actually lasts throughout all of eternity. And listen, not just wishful thinking either, not fleeting hope the way that we often find in our own lives. We hope in something and then it flies away from us, right? No, Jesus is uh, the redemption of Israel, the, the consolation of Israel, it says, Redemption, Jesus can set you free. Amen? Jesus is hope. That's why we enjoy Christmas. We look forward to it because we remember once again that the God of the universe became a baby and offered us hope. About a year ago, um, really almost around this time frame, a little bit earlier, but about a year ago, uh, my wife and I, Natalie, actually had a miscarriage and we lost our baby. 
And in a lot of ways, that was very, very, very hard. Matter of fact, for both of us, we had never really experienced death of somebody very, very close to us before. And then this was the first time that that really happened. And really that's one of the greatest pains to experience is the death of a child, right? Well, all of a sudden, you know, we, we find out we're pregnant and we start rejoicing and we get excited and we start thinking about names again and, and thinking about how far apart he or she would have been from Micaiah and start having all this hope. And there's this anticipation that starts building up in our hearts, right? Only for it to not come to fruition. And that was really, really, really hard on us as a family. It was hard on Natalie. But do you know what I have hope in? I have hope that one day I will see that boy or that girl in heaven and worship with him or her for all of eternity. That that child never knew the suffering of this earth, went right to the presence of God our King and reigned in glory forever and ever. That he or she though didn't get to get married and and didn't get to bring our family joy. That he or she is standing in the very presence of God, worshiping with him for all of eternity. And one day, Natalie and I too will get to stand and meet our child and rejoice in our king forever. This isn't fleeting hope that we have. The reason we have this hope is because we believe that the scriptures are true. We believe that what the scriptures say, that one day we too will rise from the grave because Jesus lived as a man, died, but then he resurrected, that we have hope just like he did. Jesus' resurrection actually brought us the hope that we need to live our lives. Like think about if the resurrection of Christ had never happened. What would happen after the grave? I mean, maybe reincarnation, that's kind of scary. I don't want to come back lesser than I am now. My life is already hard, <laughs> right? Like, like just death, you just, you just die. So you have 80 years and, and that's it. Maybe some fleeting, like maybe I'll get into some sort of paradise. Maybe if I'm, if I'm good enough, which how good is good enough? I don't know. But as Christianity, as Christians, we don't believe in that. We believe that if we have our faith in Jesus, then we will rise again, living forever with the king of the universe because Jesus is our hope. Not fleeting, but a strong anchor for our soul. Not like a kite in the wind of our emotions, which shift here and there based on how we're feeling in the day, but an anchor of the soul, anchored in the word of God, anchored in the resurrection of Christ. And we receive all of that because Jesus became a man like you and me. Because Jesus was born into the lowliest of conditions in a manger, that you and I who spiritually are in the lowliest of conditions can have eternal bliss with him Friends, this is why we are excited about Christmas. This is why it should stir our affections. This is why even as we look at the candle burning and, and we think about the hope of Christ, that it should stir our hearts. We should be excited because Jesus truly came. This isn't a myth. This isn't a fairy tale. He truly came and he truly lived a perfect life and he truly died, but he did not stay dead. Hope overcame the grave so that you and I can have hope that one day we too will rise from the grave. Friends, don't have hope in the fleeting sense. I I wish one day, I, I, I really want it to be true. You can have a confidence of your soul that you will stand forever with Jesus because of his life, death, and resurrection for us. I hope this Christmas as we start approaching the actual Christmas day more and more that Christ would remind you of how he is your hope 
and that this would lead your hearts to rejoice in him. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can have hope now in you, Christ. Christ said, even thinking about your second advent, one day you said you will come again. You will fulfill all things again. You will come back to us and make all things new. That we can have true hope in it, God. We don't have to wish for it. We know that you will return. We know that your word is true. You've already proven that to us, God. Would we hope in you? Place our hopes in you, God. God, I repent that I so frequently place my hope in the fleeting things of this world. God, would you remind me? Would you restore me? Would you teach me to find my hope in you and in you alone? God, we can be confident that you will do what you say you will do because you already did the hardest thing. Father, you gave up your son. Christ, you suffered under the wrath of God, drinking the full cup of his wrath, all the judgment that was due to us. You drank that Holy Spirit. You now dwell inside of us, broken men still making us whole. God, you already did the hardest thing. Would you not now give us all great things under you? Would you not resurrect us also? Would you not give us hope even in this present life and also in the life to come? Would you not give us all good things? God, you've already given us your son. God, I pray that this Christmas season that we would hope in you. That we would find our hope, find our joy and the fact that you became a man like us and one day you will come again as a lion and as a king to rule over forever. God, we want your rule. We ask that your rule would come quickly, Lord. Until it does, would we too be beacons of hope for those around us to say this earth is not all there is and this earth is not our home, that one day we will have a heavenly home with the king of the universe forever. God, help us. We're weak, our our, our emotions fail us at times. Remind us of the joy of what it means to hope in you. Praise things in your precious name, amen. Um, On the three different sides of the room, there's communion set up and we take communion every